a series this fall where we've been exploring what it means to be a church member. We've seen from 1 Timothy 3.15 how very significant the church is and how worthy it is for us to give our lives to because of this. The church is the dwelling place and the household of the living God. And we are charged with upholding and displaying the gospel of truth to the world around us. We saw in 1 Peter 2.9 that the church is a holy nation, God's holy nation, tasked with representing Christ's kingdom in the world around us. And in this way, local churches are like embassies, little outposts of the eternal kingdom of God here on earth. Yet, Christ's kingdom is not a kingdom with land or borders And it does not advance by claiming new territory. Christ's kingdom spreads by claiming hearts through the power of the gospel. And the primary way that this invisible, borderless, landless kingdom is made visible is by gathering. And that's why it is important that we as a church gather together because that is how the invisible kingdom is made visible. Then we looked at Jesus' teaching about the church in the Gospel of Matthew. We learned that Jesus gave local churches the authority to guard the what and the who of the Gospel. What is a true confession and who is a true confessor? Using our embassy analogy, the church is given the authority to issue passports to citizens of Christ's kingdom. To be very clear, the church does not make anyone a Christian. It only affirms who already are Christians and citizens. And we do this by our practice of church membership. By becoming a member, we are affirming that you are a true confessor and that your confession is a true confession. And we, we welcome you into the family of God in that way. And the clear teaching of the New Testament is that if you've been joined to Christ in salvation, then you have also been joined to his body, the church. A churchless Christian is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. The New Testament has no category for that. From there, we've been exploring what some of the privileges and expectations are for citizens of Christ's kingdom. And notice how it is the gospel that shapes all of this. Because Christ welcomed us when we were strangers and even enemies, we are to be welcoming to others, especially those who are different from us. Because Christ cares for us and he bore our greatest burden, the burden of our own sin, we are to care for one another and to bear one another's burdens as members of the church. Because in Christ we have been graciously given all things, we are to joyfully and generously give to support the gospel mission of the church. 
And because of the mercies of God, we are to offer our lives in service to God as living sacrifices, using our gifts for the growth and for the health of the church. I hope that you can see what it means now to be a gospel-shaped church. The gospel is not just the evangelistic product that the church extends to the world that it tries to reach. The gospel is the entire engine that motivates and empowers our growth as Christians. It's the power for salvation. It's the power for our growth as we become shaped and made more and more like Jesus every day. It's the gospel. So church, may we never lose sight of and take our eyes off the gospel and let us not marginalize it as just something we do when we're trying to reach people and forget about it every day of the week, every other day of the week, or when we're doing other Christian activities. The gospel is the center. The gospel is what shapes us. Today, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about leadership in the church. The Bible has a lot to say about leadership that would warrant multiple sermons, but today, we're just going to give one sermon to it. Our focus will be on how citizens of Christ's kingdom should relate to church leaders. This is an important part of being a member, understanding how it is that we relate to, to, to the leaders in the church. I've entitled this sermon Honoring because it best summarizes the New Testament teaching on how church members should relate to their leaders. I'm going to read from three different passages this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 19. And 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. And then we'll circle back, and I'm going to make four points about how members should relate to church elders, leaders of our church. So please stand with me, if you're able, out of respect for God's word. Follow along with me as I read out loud these three passages. We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, 
You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true and that it is our highest and most ultimate authority. Father, help us to receive your word today with with glad and joyful hearts. Soften the soil of our hearts to receive your word, God, that it may take root in our lives and bear fruit for your kingdom. Holy Spirit, sharpen our minds where we are dull. Open our hearts in areas where we may be hardened, that we may hear and obey your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So obviously I'm talking about church leadership today, of which I am one of multiple elders. So it's a little awkward. You know, I don't want this to be uh, self-serving, so I'm going to really lean on the word, what the word says. And we're going to make four points about the ways in which elders should be honored by church members. And the points are this. One, respect to protect, three, pray, and four, submit. And so let's get started with respect. First Thessalonians 5, 12 uses the word respect, which literally means to know, but it conveys a meaning of, of acknowledgement and, and appreciation. And we really, we just came out of a month, the month of October, where we recognize uh, Pastor Appreciation Month and just so you know, message received. My family and I felt very appreciated by you. Uh, you've, this church has always done a great job of uh, appreciating pastors, and so we are thankful. Thank you to everyone who uh, gave us a card or a gift. Uh, very appreciated. Uh, so thank you. Um, but also remember, remember this. Uh, I, I am one. I am, I'm a pastor. The pastor and elder, are, those are synonymous terms in the New Testament. And we have a plurality of elders here. And so it's right and good to uh, appreciate and show appreciation for, uh, for pastors. But remember, too, we have a team of elders. And so I'd encourage you to encourage them as, as you find opportunity to do so. Uh, let them know how much uh, their leadership means to you and uh, how much you appreciate them. Paul adds in in verse 13 that elders should be esteemed very highly. It's hard to convey in English how strong a statement this is because in Greek this is is a compound word consisting of three prepositions for added emphasis. This is a word that literally means abundantly, out of all bounds, and beyond all measure. All squished into one word there. And this is how elders should be regarded by the church, especially those who preach, 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18 points out. But what is the basis of such respect? What if I don't jive with an elder? What if we just don't kind of you know, get along or they just have a personality that's not you know, uh, my cup of tea? What's the basis for respect that we show elders? First, It's because Paul says that elders are over you in the Lord, meaning that it is the Lord who appointed these men to be elders. But wait, you might be thinking, 
Don't we elect elders as a congregational church? Yes, we do. And no, we don't. The scriptures talk about elders as being appointed. And they also mention elders as being given by God for the church. Ephesians 4.11 makes this very clear. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds. We, should, we could read their elders and pastors. The shepherds and the teachers. So the best way to describe what happens when we, the members, elect elders is that we are collectively seeking the mind of Christ to affirm leaders that we believe God has given to the church. That's what we are doing when we come together to vote for elders. That's what we come together to do when we vote on anything. We're not coming to vote for our our preferences. We're coming to seek the mind of Christ as a church. And I want to point out one very significant implication of this reality. There's, there's this idea that can seep into churches from the representative democracy that we live in as the United States, as citizens of this country. And it's this, that elders are elected by the church to represent the interests and to lobby for their preferences. And this is not a biblical idea. It's an American idea. That's not what we do as a church. That's not what elders are elected to do. Remember back to last week, our highest authority in, in the church is the word of God and nothing else. Not even the United States Constitution. So elders should be respected and esteemed because it is God who has given them to the church. Now look with me at 1 Thessalonians 5.13. Another reason that elders should be respected and esteemed is because of their work. It's because of their work, Paul points out. But what is their work? Here I want us to flip over to 1 Peter 5.1-3. Here is the work that Peter exhorts elders to do. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here it is, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Or listen to how Jesus responds to the mother of James and John, who comes to Jesus requesting high positions for her boys, like any good mother would want. But listen to how Jesus responds. Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Elders are to be shepherd servants, not for shameful gain, not domineering bullies, 
They're to be examples to the flock. A reporter once asked this question of the great preacher John Stott. You've had a brilliant academic career. Firsts at Cambridge, rector at 29, chaplain to the queen. What is your ambition now? Stott replied, to be more like Jesus. The biblical imagery of a shepherd is a rich one. It can be summarized in this way. Knowing the sheep, feeding the sheep, leading the sheep, protecting the sheep. Feeding the sheep by faithfully teaching and preaching God's word for their spiritual nourishment. Leading sheep back in love when they wander off the path. Protecting sheep from the wolves of false teachers. And this can be a dangerous job. Just think about the number of prophets who were persecuted and killed in the Old Testament. And they were mistreated, not by enemies from the outside, but by the very sheep they were called to minister to. Biting sheep, watch out. Beware of sheep. There should be a sign on your lawn, right? Not beware of dog, beware of sheep. The work of a shepherd is difficult. And they're given to us by God. And this is the basis for respect and esteem that should be shown. Next point, protect elders. Elders are perhaps more so than other church members targets for our enemy, the devil. He's crafty. He understands the vast and immense harm that a fallen elder can cause to a church. Look at 1 Timothy 3.7. Paul writes to Timothy, moreover, talking about elders, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. A snare is a trap. And traps are set with intentionality. Paul is saying that the devil is actively setting traps for elders. And Paul knew how exposed the elders uh, can be to charges and criticisms and complaints, both from outside the church and from within. This is why he writes in 1 Timothy 5.19, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. A good church member will seek to protect their shepherds from unwarranted slings and arrows. Backbiting and gossip should die at your ears, refusing to entertain toxic gossip and uncorroborated tales. But this does not mean that elders are above the law. Paul even says as much in the very next verse. Still speaking about elders here, Paul says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in fear. Elders are not unaccountable. Elders are under the authority of God's word. And we are not uh, infallible as the Catholic Church would teach about their leaders. Paul's point is that while elders are not immune 
from every accusation, we must be very careful and discerning about what accusations we do entertain. And this flows very naturally into the third way that elders should be honored. They need your prayers. Elders need your prayers. We should pray for their protection. Paul explains how in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1-2, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. Paul asked for prayer to be delivered from wicked and evil men. Here's an example that hits close to home. Recently, uh, back in June, we hosted the King's Brass in the community. And there was a member of our community who was there and uh, misunderstood something that the, the King's Brass leader, Tim, had said uh, and accused us of, of promoting hate speech. And I reached out to this person. Uh, the, the misunderstanding was actually quite humorous. Uh, you might remember back to, to June about that example, but um, this person wasn't willing to hear it. They insisted that we were promoting hate and they expressed to me on the phone how bent against our church they would be. They, they said they were having meetings with people. I don't know who those people are, but they're having meetings and they were going to boycott and have, uh, you know, have the King's Brass banned from ever performing in East Fishkill ever again. These were things I was told. It became clear to me that... Um, this was not rational and perhaps even demonic. Attacks against our church. And so we prayed for the Lord to protect the reputation of our church and its leaders in the community against these false accusations. That they would just they'd fall on deaf ears. And, and so the Lord is good. He answered those prayers. I reached out to several officials in town, explained to them what happened. And they were very glad to hear from me. They assured me, you have nothing to worry about. You're, we love your church. And you guys will always be welcome to do events in our community and public spaces. Uh, and they thanked me for uh, the work that our church is doing in the community. And so praise God for answering that prayer to protect our church. Our elders need your prayers. Our, your leaders need your prayers to protect them against attacks that are unwarranted. Paul also asked for prayer for physical safety in his ministry. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 1, 9-11. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the great blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. After describing the deadly peril that Paul was delivered from, he tells the Corinthian church that they must help him by their prayers, that he may be further delivered from danger, so that those who will continue to hear the gospel will give thanks to God. 
Your prayers help motivate and spur on gospel ministry through your leaders. But now back to 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Paul asked for prayer for the word of God that it, that it would speed ahead, that it would be advanced, and that it would be honored, that it would be received. He says, pray for these things. And it is right and good for the church to lift up the ministry of the word through its elders. Paul writes something similar to the Colossian church. Colossians 4, 2-4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear as is how I ought to speak. As Aaron and her, you may remember that story from the Old Testament, they, they held up the arms of Moses as they were getting tired so that he could effectively minister to God's people. So too our elders need you to plead with God for them on their behalf to support the effectiveness of their ministry. And so we're to honor our elders by respecting, by protecting, and by praying for them. And the last way that elders should be honored is by submitting to their leadership. Now I understand just the thought of submitting to leaders may leave a bitter taste in your mouth. And understandably so. We are no strangers to poor and even abusive examples of leadership. In our world today, we can easily lift off any number of examples in, in politics, in business, in sports, or entertainment, and sadly, even the church. Deep pain has been caused by leaders and is continuing to be caused by bad leaders. Bad leaders are not a new problem, though. Paul acknowledged the existence of good and bad leaders in his writings, and he taught us to avoid bad leaders and to follow faithful leaders. Look with me at Paul's warning in Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Peter also acknowledged the presence of bad leaders in 2 Peter 2, 1. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. He's anticipating future false prophets that haven't yet made themselves known here. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. But just because bad leaders exist doesn't mean that there are no good leaders. And the Bible says that good leaders should be followed. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter directly addresses those who are young here, calling them to be subject to the elders. But this is not because they're the only ones who should submit to the elders. It's probably because they were the ones more prone to resisting the elders. We know how youth is. You know, anyone have teenagers? I have a teenager coming. Sydney will be 13 in December. Uh, but this is for everyone. Now let's color this idea in a little bit by looking at Hebrews 13, 17, one of the most clear commands to submit to elders. Here we read, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls. It's because of their work they were to do this. It's because of the work they are called to do. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's talk about these two words, obey and submit. First, the way in which the word obey is used here literally means to be continually persuaded, meaning that we should allow the teaching and preaching and the counsel of of the elders, we should allow that to be convincing to us. In other words, the default should not be resistance, but a willingness, a willingness to accept their preaching and their teaching. Also in mind here is the idea of compliance to direction. The same Greek word for obey used here in Hebrews 13 is also used in James 3.3, where he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. Now the word obey here, is, is in a passive sense, and it conveys an ongoing willingness to be persuaded by the teaching and preaching of elders. But the word for submit is different. It's an active verb implying that we should continually devote ourselves to being placed under their leadership, under the leadership of elders. And much of this simply boils down to simply being willing to be led and at the same time actively yielding to the leadership of the elders. In fact, this is what the writer of Hebrews has in mind. If you look back at just a few verses in the same chapter, Hebrews thirteen seven, he says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is the work of elders being examples to the flock, being examples to follow. Now notice this goes both ways. Elders bear a burden of being good examples. and The church members bear the burden of following. But this does not mean that we can never question the leadership of elders. And it does not mean that they must be blindly followed no matter what. First, if an elder or pastor ever preaches or teaches what contradicts the clear teachings of the Bible, they should not be obeyed and they should not be followed. Remember back to last week, it's the scriptures, it's the word of God that is our greatest authority, not an elder, 
not a pastor. We are all accountable ultimately to the word of God. Secondly, I I think that there are rare cases when it is actually okay to disobey good elders, but to do so in a healthy way. In a healthy way. How do you do that? First, spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer and wrestle with God. And be careful that you're not confusing a conviction with a preference. Because it would be wrong to disobey elders on the grounds of just a preference. I don't like the music, so I'm not going to sing. I don't like the color of the carpet, so I'm not going to stand on that carpet. I don't know. Next, recognize that the right thing to do may not always feel right. Because in our flesh, in our sinfulness, our emotions can sometimes lead us away from what is right and good. So consider that. But then, if you, if you still feel that your issue is a matter of conviction, based on the clear teaching of the Bible, then bring the matter to the elders, but do so in a manner that is healthy. The manner in which you come to the elders is very important. How you come to elders is important. Go to the elders in a way that's gracious and that is humble, that's willing to listen, and that is teachable. Explain to them how your conviction is based on the scriptures. Be willing to be corrected if you're not seeing it right. Notice that Paul wraps up his teaching on respecting and esteeming elders in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. So come in a way that's humble, that's seeking peace, that's gracious. Paul also writes in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now it does happen where two people who both love Jesus can come to different conclusions and convictions about certain things in the Bible. It happens. And when this happens, I believe that we can disagree without creating conflict that threatens the unity of the church that Jesus bought with his own blood. We do this only when we remain convinced and convicted by the scriptures of our position. If after meeting with the elders, explaining your, your position, uh, it, it's clear that you've come to different conclusions, we, we agree to disagree. We, we respect the other's position and we humbly agree to disagree. So it's okay to disagree with elders and not to obey certain things on the grounds of conviction. So long as the manner in which it is done is not rebellious, in independent spirit, but with humility and with graciousness. 
But if you can't agree to disagree, and proving you're right is more important than the unity of the body, and to continue in fellowship with that particular church will only provoke more conflict and division, I think that it's at that time that you should consider finding a church that agrees with you. This, of course, is a last resort. And when members part ways, it's always with a heavy heart and in grief. It's never what we want. Hebrews 13, 17 teaches that when good leaders are not followed, it sucks the joy out of their service. And that is not good for the church. It is not good for the church. You don't want your elders to groan when they think about leading you. It is not good for you and it's not good for the church. You may think that by resisting on the grounds of a preference or in an unhealthy manner because of a, con- of a conscience matter, but Hebrews thirteen seventeen says that this is of no advantage to you. And worse, it's unhealthy disobedience leads to and breeds conflict and division that erodes the unity of Christ's church that he died for. So good elders and pastors are not perfect. They're not perfect shepherds, but they are gifts from God to the church. Strive to honor them, making their work a joy. Respect them, protect them, pray for them, and obey them. This not only honors elders, but it also honors the good God who gave them to us for our good. In closing, we cannot rule out that sometimes our tendency to resist good elders is a result of our fallen condition. For it's not just human elders that we've rebelled against. In our sin, we have also rebelled against the only perfect shepherd there ever was, Jesus the good shepherd. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So if we've resisted, resisted the good shepherd, you know, we're not immune to resisting earthly shepherds, under shepherds in sinful ways. Maybe you've been going your own way for a while now and you've learned the hard way that that's not a fulfilling way to live. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief says that life is found by going your own way by doing things on your own terms, calling your own shots, disregarding the Lord who made you. This isn't, isn't this a good description, though, of, of the spirit of our day? Rabid individualism, independence, autonomy. These are the idols of our, of our culture. These are the things, the ideas that are worshipped. I am the captain of my own ship. No one tells me what to do. 
who rebel. But the thief is also a liar. Living this way will only steal your joy, will kill you, and will destroy you in hell. Living that way will only steal your joy, kill you, and destroy you in hell. But Jesus came to give you a better way, an abundant life. When our rebellion earned for us death and hell, Jesus laid down his life on the cross. And he took it back up again, bursting out of that tomb to save his rebellious sheep. Amen? Amen. The loss of his perfect life for our sin and his resurrected life to all who will turn from their rebellion and give themselves to Jesus. If you're here today and you've realized that for the first time, that you're, you're straying, that you've been living your life for you and not for the Lord. Stop resisting. Come to Jesus today. It's never too late. No matter how hard you've resisted, no matter how hard you've rebelled, it's never too late to come to Jesus. So come to Jesus today. I'm going to pray in a moment. And as we sing our last song, If you'd like to come to Jesus for the first time, we invite you to do so. We'll have people up here to pray for you. If you'd like to come forward for any other reason, if you'd like prayer for something, for healing, uh, for something going on in your life that you just want others to know about and to be praying for you, come forward during that last song and we'd love to pray for you and to know about it. Join me in prayer now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you are a perfect shepherd. We thank you for the gift of under-shepherds, of elders and pastors, to care for and to shepherd your flock with care and with love. Father, we pray for our elders that you would strengthen them to be faithful, to love the flock, to shepherd with great care, to know the flock and to feed them good food, not junk food, to feed them with your word and faithfulness. God, we pray that you protect them from wicked men who seek to tear them down, from the traps of our enemy, the devil, to to trap them, to trip them up. Protect our elders, Lord. We pray for them that the ministry of the word through our elders would, would be advanced and would be received with great joy. And God, we pray that uh, elders would be followed, that good elders would be followed as they seek to be good examples. Father, strengthen our church through the leadership of good elders. And Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. You've given us good elders. We thank you for the best gift, though, in your son, Jesus, who alone pays for the sins of the world who brings us into your family and makes us a part of your flock. There's no greater joy. There's no greater pleasure to know that we are part of your family, part of your flock. Father, may that joy not be kept to ourselves in selfishness, but God, may we uh, be burdened for sharing the good news of the gospel with our community, that 
the, the Son of God laid down his life to save sinners. And we can come freely by grace alone, through faith alone, and the Son of God alone. God, help us to champion that message. Help that gospel message to be central to our church. Let us not take our eyes off of it, for it is the power of God for salvation, but it is also the power of God for our sanctification, to be made more like Jesus. That is our prayer, Lord. We pray along with John Stott that his ambition was to be just more like Jesus. God, help us all to be more like Jesus today. As we go out into our communities and into our families and our places of work, may we be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing light and life to a world that needs it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.